Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast. Today on the podcast, I've got Jeff Webster for you from Hunter and Gather Foods. So I'd just like Jeff to introduce himself. You know, I don't like to introduce my guests for you. I like it to do them themselves, and then they tell you what's important to them. So, Jeff, who are you and what do you do? Hey, yeah, well, thanks for having me, first and foremost. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'm Jeff Webster, one of the co-founders of Hunter and Gather Foods, um, who produce an awesome range of food and supplements that's geared towards essentially people that want to thrive. So so many of us in society survive nowadays, but we, we challenge our customers to thrive. Um, and our promise is always to be free from sugars, grains, and inflammatory seed oils. Um, but that kind of tells everyone what we do um, and what the business does, Hunter and Gather, and not me as a person. Um, yeah, so I'm one, one half of Hunter and Gather. Um, I'm a guy, just turned 30, um, have an absolute zest for life and trying to feel as best as I can and be the best human being I can. Um, yeah, I'm rambling. I'm rambling about that. So yeah, feel free <laughs> so to ask me some more questions. What, uh, what actually got you started then into looking into wanting to build a uh, a food food based kind of business? What actually got you started into thinking actually the products I want are not out there. So how can I put something out there? And what got your head turning to to make you think I can do this? Yeah, for sure. So for me, it all started back in 2012. Um, I saw a uh, team GB physio. I wasn't on team GB just for everyone that's listening. Um, but he was a physio in my local area that worked with some real high elite athletes. And I was suffering from a chronic injury known as uh, the, the IT band. It was something to do with the IT band and it was super painful. So I was going to a few sessions with him and he started to ask me about what I'm eating. And I was like, why are you asking about what I'm eating when you're, you know, dealing with an injury that's in my leg? It's got nothing to do with it at all. Um, and I started really off, you know, pasta, rice, potatoes, loads of carbohydrates. I'm fueling myself for a marathon. So, of course, I need all of this, you know, quick energy. It's, it's energy, carbohydrates, are energy. And he said to me, hey, you know, you don't need to be consuming such an abundance of refined carbohydrates. Like we in the elite sports space, like we things are changing. We don't think that is the default approach. That isn't what should be the, the conventional wisdom. And he said, check out this video on YouTube. It's really accessible. It's 45 minutes long. And it was actually the founder of um, Diet Doctor, Andreas, who was interviewing Gary Torbs. Um, and the title of the video is Why We Get Fat. And unbeknownst to me, he had a book too called Why We Get Fat and Good Calories, Bad Calories. And for some reason, the video really compelled me. I watched the whole, all of it. And I remember vividly now, it was, um, I think it was August 20, it was August 2012. Um, and was about to go to Barcelona um, on a trip for the weekend. And I just become obsessed by it. It just made so much sense. I was like, wow, like everything I've known up until this, to this point, it's, it's been wrong. And but back before that, when I was at university at the time, I was quite poorly. I'd just been prescribed some really quite severe acne treatment called Roaccutane, which is essentially, um, it's thought of as, a, as, a, as a quite a mild chemotherapy. I was having blood tests every 30 days to make sure my, my kidneys and liver were fine. But prior to that, as a teenager, I had you know severe acne, eczema, really bad GI distress. No idea what it what this was. I just thought that was what life was like. But I come across this kind of notion of what we're eating is actually um, it's at odds with our physiology and our biology, and it's not what what we should be eating. Um, and I just become obsessed, absolutely obsessed. Stripped back all the crap, got rid of it all. I was in my final year at university doing a building surveying degree. 
had no business looking into food and fitness and that sort of thing but it just compelled me so much that I cut out many things and for the first time in since since I was alive I could felt like I, I could think had this higher state of cognition I was like oh wow is, is this what life should feel like I could sit for six hours which I don't condone but I could sit for six hours and do so much of my dissertation and and work really hard and really focused without feeling hungry or feeling like my attention was wandering and that was kind of the real moment where it, it captured me um and yeah oh, uh, kudos to the uh gb uh, eb physio yeah who, yeah who, who st- sent you on that road because every single person i've interviewed and everybody that i've worked with as well there's always the one person there in the background that gives them that little nudge gives them the the track to go on to go have a look and and your it band issue as well sent you that way so when you started to look into it and deep dive into it all then you probably found what a lot of people find nowadays is that the infrastructure of our market, of our supermarkets, of basically the whole food market out there just doesn't support healthy nutrition. So you probably thought, hang on a minute, I want these particular things in my diet, but I can't find them anywhere. So did that push you into thinking, I'm going to make my own? Yeah, for, for sure. So even even back then, so 2012, 2013, 2014, even through to around 2016, there was a real lack of information, even on the internet. Um, and any information that was out there was, you know, in America, there weren't podcasts like you're an awesome podcast. Now there was just a lack of information. So I look back at some of my journals from 2014 and when I was testing my blood for like blood ketones, etc. I look back and I think, Jesus, this is so rudimentary compared to what we know now. Um, and there just wasn't anything. It was just eating real food. And I didn't realize that it was termed as real food or whole food back then or, or paleo. It, it was kind of based around the paleo principles. But there was absolutely no quote-unquote innovation or, or products in the space that was geared towards those that wanted to eat more of a paleo-aligned uh, philosophy. That's kind of what I settled on and, and stuck to for quite a few years. Um, and then, so, so for me, so I went into went into a career as a quantity surveyor spent three years in 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 that career with a particular employer i went for an amazing grad scheme the career trajectory was amazing in terms of the salary expectations and bonus schemes and all this wonderful stuff that comes with you know all the trimmings that come with 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 life in a career that such as that and it just i just felt so disillusioned and unfulfilled and i was still obsessed by health and wellness and being being as best as we can and I wanted as many people I, I truly wanted as many people and still do to to hear that message that the current food environment is incorrect and how we're living now as a species is not appropriate for what we're designed to do we're not designed to sit in boxes here I'm sitting in a box by the way for <laughs> anyone that's listening recording this but that's for acoustic purposes but we should be outdoors we should be outside we should be exploring we should be moving we should be walking barefoot we should be consuming foods that are you know as as low lowly processed as possible so i want as many people to hear this as as they could and i actually got really far with looking into graduate entry medicine because i thought that was the way that i could make an impact i saw some great doctors that had you know some you know fairly good platforms back then and and we're talking about this thing so i thought that is the way and i actually got work experience in quite a prominent um, london hospital I didn't actually go through with it because I realized that I'd be locked into this institution. I'd be locked into this paradigm that was 
were still very much fixed. And that was after speaking to, you know, GPs, et cetera, who are like, hey, like we're literally just uh, a technician for pharmaceutical companies. And that's a very cynical look at things, but that's, you know, how, how people articulate themselves. So at the same time, my, my life partner and business partner now, Amy, she was working in a very entrepreneurial pet food brand that were, were revolutionizing the pet food space and creating, well, I say revolutionizing, but just providing pets what they should be eating essentially, which is, you know, quite low process, good, high quality meat, good organic vegetables. Um, and it was, you know, geared towards the, the natural market. And that was deemed as quite revolutionary. Just as a side note, we actually feed our pets raw, which is like a biological appropriate raw food diet. And they, Species they appropriate diet, you could say. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we saw, I saw this kind of entrepreneurial, how, how this food company for pets were kind of changing consumer habits. And I was like, that looks interesting. We could have quite a bit of impact there. And then there was a lot of innovation happening in America and you get these amazing products, but there was absolutely nothing in the UK or Europe. So I thought to myself, either no one in the UK and Europe has a similar mind to me and wants this stuff or number two, no one's brave enough or silly enough to do it. Um, so we kind of just went about thinking, how could we create some products that we, we currently want and can't get and we're making from home um, or we're buying from America? How, how can we provide this to other people? We had so, absolutely no idea there would be a customer base, by the way. No idea at all. So is, is that what you actually did then? You started from home making your own produce in your own kitchen, started to think, well, look, we can make this here for ourselves at home. So why not push it out, see if anybody else wants it? Yep. So our first product was with, was avocado oil mayonnaise. Had absolutely no idea how to make it for the masses or to, to scale it up from a very small production in the kitchen. Um, we never, so we went about trying to make it at home. And I've got, um, I've got a video actually somewhere of me with a five litre tub of sunflower oil, just so we could understand how an, an emulsion worked. Um, using that with the top cut off and a big stick blender, just trying to work out how to make it and how you'd scale it up. Because I had no idea about how food manufacturing worked, but literally so naive. It was, it was, it's unreal to look back on. Um, so we never actually made products at home and sold it from home. We were very fortunate to find a partner that were experts in making food to a very good high quality to the specification that we wanted um, early doors. So that was that journey there in a, in a nutshell. But yeah, we, we went about and we, we launched our product, our first two products in, in October, 2017 after a year of kind of discussing and, and I'm and in what we should do. And we soon realized that there were other crazy people out there <laughs> like us that wanted, you know, food that was essentially superior or, or food that was good. Um, and that was quite, quite remarkable to see. Yeah. Food that wasn't ultra processed food that didn't have ingredients labels as long as your arm food that just had in it what it says that it's got in it, you know, avocado oil and eggs and mayonnaise, you know, <laughs> but if you look at, so many different other mayonnaises out there. Let's just talk mayonnaise for a moment. You can turn what it says on the front's not always what it says on the back. You can turn them around and they can have a super long ingredients list, like you mentioned, all different kind of oils and sort of things like that. So when you started to go into it and you started to think, why did you use avocado oil? And what was the thinking behind avocado oil? You mentioned that perhaps you was having a bit of a dabble with sunflower oil to see how things worked out. But obviously oils were something that was at the top of your thinking. So why did you go down for the avocado oil? Yeah, so we 
I knew quite early on in the, in the paleo journey, I'd come across quite a lot of Kate Shanahan's work around seed oils and high omega-6. And it's, it's interesting to see, actually, it's become really popular again in the last, kind of the last year within the, the podcast space and, and the blog community, um, the dangers around seed oils. But we've, we've been, champ- I've been aware of that since, you know, late 2015, early 2016. And we've been aware of that since day dot because we chose to, to use a fruit-based oil that's pressed from the flesh of the avocado. And now we've actually got a range of olive oil-based um, of mayos too. But we were aware that these hyper-processed seed oils that are extracted using hexanes and solvents, solvents aren't what we should be consuming. And you can look back at the correlational data and see for the past 100 years that there's been an exponential rise in chronic health disease and seed oils um, and how these are essentially byproducts of, of industries that have this waste product that need to get, get rid of it. And I always laugh when I see the McDonald's, um, McDonald's trucks driving down the road and it has on the back about how ah, cooking oils are used as biodiesel. And it's like, yeah, amazing. That's really cool. <laughs> but yeah. not, that's, that's sarcasm there. And, that's that's you, what it's and, meant to be used for. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you look back and you, you discover that rapeseed oil or yeah, rapeseed oil was actually used as, a, as an engineering lubricant initially. And then there was a surplus of it. And it's like, oh, how can we how can we hybridize this? How can we turn it into canola, which is Canadian low acidic or low acid um, oil and trademark it and, and, and make it not acutely toxic for humans? Let's just make it chronically toxic instead. But yeah, we, we, we settled on avocado oil. Obviously, avocado was, was having a you know, a real hero's moment in the life of people that realize, you know, fat-based fruits or fat-based food wasn't bad per se. It obviously depends on what fat you're consuming, but it seemed like the, the natural, um, the natural item to use. Um, obviously it's extremely costly as a, as a product. It really is as, as an ingredient. And we've come to learn that. And that's why we've, um, recently launched, an olive oil based, 100% olive oil based mayo, which again, we seem to be the first in the world to do that. And it just boggles our mind why no one else has done it before. Um, yeah, well, I think you touched four on ingredients. The, yeah, I think you touched on two key points there. That the first being that the all the seed oils and the, the highly manufactured industrial oils are chronically toxic, not acutely toxic, because people say, well, you know, they don't affect me. But how do you know? Because <laughs> over a long period of time, we can see that studies are now coming out from the 50s, 60s, all up until the current day, what an effect it's had on the human body. You can see it now. It's starting to come out in studies. So it is becoming a chronically toxic thing to have in foods. But manufacturers will tell you, well, it's not happening to you today, which is acutely toxic. So it's a great thing to touch on, to tell people that, yeah, all right, you might not be able to feel the effects. You might say, well, it's okay, they're putting it in my food, so it must be okay. Well, no, they get away with it because, like you mentioned, it's not acutely toxic, it's chronically toxic. And, and at the moment, although there is studies out there, I believe that there's not enough science to prove this, to back it, put, put behind them to say, stop doing it. Well, and the second point like that you raise as well, which is along the similar lines, is the fact that it is so cheap. It is so cheap to manufacture and to put out there into foods and to make foods last longer and to make foods go further so it makes more money for the guy at the top that's why i love companies like yourself and i'll always champion the companies that even though their products may be more expensive say to people well surely that could put a light bulb on in your own head and say well why are they more expensive you know think about what's going on in the background think about the ethos of the company 
And yeah, I just wanted to touch on those those two key points. There. I hope you agree with what I say. Yeah, I do, and it's we always ask we always ask the question back to the person that that says that. We say, don't ask why is the food that we're providing expensive, quote unquote, but why is cheap food so cheap? And people don't realise about subsidies and about you know commercial and industrial processes that that comes with scale. But I think point one you mentioned there about the body of scientific literature it's literally in no one's interest to say that seed oil was bad it's in it's in no no industry's interest to say that there'll be an absolute surplus of of ingredients um recipes would have to be redeveloped avocado or olive oil cost 10 to 15 times more expensive than sunflower and rapeseed oil it's in absolutely no one's interest to change it and then when you've got things like the um the eat well guide that's all geared by and it's all lobbied by the food industry because they want to ensure that the regulations and the guidelines suit them essentially. Um, and these, these big guys work on such big margins and such big turnovers that they have such an influence. And you can sound quite skeptical, quite cynical, but that's essentially how corporates work. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think a lot of people think that the government or perhaps the NHS are looking out for your well-being by producing these eat well guides and, and telling you what's best for you, telling you what's best for the body. But like you mentioned, it's not those people that are generating these things. Generally, it is the big industries that are doing it. The big industries are pushing out there, putting pressure on government, putting pressure on the health service. Say, look, you need to promote these foods. You need to promote that the grains and the seed oils are fine because we're giving you the money to do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that comes back nicely to why we actually, why we launched Hunt and Gather as well. We saw it as a prime opportunity to sit on shelf next to other products that are a lot more expensive, uh, sorry, are a lot cheaper than our product. But it's, it's a protest. It's a protest against them. It's a way of um, protesting and saying, hey, that product that's sitting next to us, it's so cheap that it should, it should be suspicious. But the, and it's our way of getting a message across to the masses. Everyone buys products in shops. And, you know, people say to us, oh, do you really want to be in supermarkets? It's like, yes, of course we do, because we can make the impact. People start to realize through our messaging, because people, people change their behavior through messaging, not just being told there's you know, various touch points that people need to make um, behavior change. So that's a fantastic way of doing that. Um, and, and that's essentially at the core of the mission, really. That to, probably to comes to back to the, to the reason why I was going to say to you um, why you put on the front of your pack, you know, which is quite evident when you just look at one. Straight away, you've got on there the three symbols, no grains, no oils, no, what's the other one? No. Yeah, so no, no sugar, no, no seed sugar, oils yeah. and, and no grains. Yeah, or, or gluten-free, it depends what, what product it is and what category we're, we're playing in. Playing in. Um, I think yourself and myself and, and, and your listeners, for instance, we need to realize that we're literally in like a 0.1% of the population that are super aware of these things. Um, and it's so easy, it's so easy to get caught up in that echo chamber sometimes. Um, but we, we see it with Ocado, for instance, our products are on Ocado. And that is a big supermarket, albeit online. They've only got about 2% of the market share. But we've seen how the customer base on there is, has just skyrocketed, which is really heartening because people it feels like the tide is turning and people are starting to realize um and essentially the the bigger our business becomes um not only does it benefit the team here does it benefit hunter and gather's mission but it also benefits as many people so it's this wonderful win-win situation it's and it's you it, it is genuinely using business for good 
at the start when we started hunting gather it almost felt awkward to be creating a product and then selling it because it's almost like i just want people to feel as well as possible but um a mentor once said to me like without any margin so without any profit in a business there is no mission like you can't exist so if you want to change the way we do things you need to have you know a business that makes sense as well. yeah that's that's great and um, but it's the ethos behind it as well like, like you mentioned people might firstly be drawn to your product but then they'll be like well what's the thinking behind this you know why is it more expensive than the other things and then there's the teaching there's the dragging those particular people like what you want to do and what i want to do dragging those into our not 0.1 percent of people or one percent of people or whatever we are and the tide is is slowly turning like you say there is more people now curious about why these particular products like yours are coming out there, why they're the ones saying no grains, no seed oils, why is that important? And they're the type of questions that you and me want people to be asking in their own head when they're looking at and buying the particular produce you've got. So you started off with, with mayo then, and you went through different kind of flavors of mayo, and then you expanded into sauces and even like liver and heart capsules and supplements, things like that. So what made you think, okay, let's, let's try going down this road. Yes. I think it comes, it's that, that being able to protest against certain products. So many, many mentors or business mentors in, in the food industry or the food space, you you go to these workshops because you want to learn about marketing or you want to learn about a supply chain and how you can do things better so you can make your business better. And you listen to them all and they say, just do one product really well. Um, don't don't play into these other categories these other spaces that's for other brands to do um so we're kind of one of the first in the uk to actually adopt this different way of doing things where we do have mayonnaise and we do have supplements and we do have oils and we do have salad dressings um and we do have protein powders it's it's quite bizarre and we've we've had many people quite confused when they've you know who are professionals in the food space who have said like what are you guys doing and traditionally that mindset comes down, comes down to like some money. So when you try to get into a supermarket and you try to get into a, onto a particular shelf, there's typically a lot of money that needs to be spent to get there because that, that space is very, um, it's of high value to the supermarket. So if you operate in different spaces within a supermarket, within a conventional, um, system or, or, or framework of working within a food space, within the food space, you're not you're not going to have success that's how these people see it but with wonderful routes to market such as your own website amazon people love it or hate it um it's a fantastic way to get products that are not stocked in supermarkets we work with independent um shops across the country and we we ensure that we support the high street and the small independent retailers there's so many web-based um retailers now as well that yeah that's that's why we we've decided to go into many different product ranges so multivitamins for instance like how many synthetic multivitamins are in holland and barrett i mean we're stocked in holland and barrett too but how many how many are there and it's like that's not what a multivitamin should be like if you just consume liver and heart and kidney for instance or some other interesting ones that we may have coming out in the near future you start to realize that is that should be the the null hypothesis that should be the conventional wisdom but we've got so far removed from where it should be so I'm not really answering your question. It, I think uh, it comes I, down I guess to sometimes that. that um, I mean, I, I said it first, and you copied. It's probably my fault, but I called them supplements, and <laughs> people see supplements, hear supplements, and think, 
oh, well, you know, it's a tablet. Is, is it going to work? Is it going to be bioavailable? Because you mentioned the multivitamins and, and all the different kind of vitamins and minerals that you can buy from Holland and Barrett over on the internet, wherever you get your, your vitamins and minerals from. Um, but are they bioavailable? Are they going to be used by your body in the way they should be used? That's what bioavailable is. Can your body use it? And generally, like you said, with the multivitamins and all the other kind of vitamins, the answer is no. It just goes straight through your digestive system because there's nothing in there that your body recognizes. It's not a food. And your body knows how to break down food, take it back to our ancestors. Like you said, you based a lot of your philosophy on our ancestors. If you was to, to give them something like that, they'd throw it away. It's not food. But your supplements, why they've been categorized supplements, I don't know, maybe you could tell us, but they are, it is food. Yeah, they've been categorized as a supplement because they're in a capsule. If we merely packaged the freeze-dried organ into, in, just left it as a powder and put it into a pouch, um, it wouldn't be a supplement and it wouldn't incur 20% VAT. It's the most backwards, bizarre thing. But because it's been put into a gelatin capsule, which, by the way, is just gelatin, um, it's classed as a supplement. Um, very fascinating, very frustrating topic, that is. But, um, have you yeah. ever thought about doing it without the capsule? We have, yes, we have. So um, <laughs> there's 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 many things on our product roadmap for sure to to help as many people be as you know as as well as they can. Um, yeah, there's 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 so many products out there that people consume on a daily basis that are inferior and should and should uh, and essentially ripe for being redefined. Um, and that's typically why we we produce new products we see we see hey that isn't what it should be it should be like this and that's the crux of it really so all your products everything that you have is basically looking out for the consumer like, like you mentioned yes you're, you're in a business you, you want to make profit you want your business to grow but you are looking out for the consumer because things like what we've mentioned like the grains the sugars the seed oils all those things are not in your produce are in the other things and, and they're potentially what's causing other people the problem. I mean, I've spoken a lot about um, low carb, you know, do, do people need to go low carb? Do people need to go carnivore, paleo? Perhaps not. Perhaps people just need to make sure they get all the inflammatory things, what I call inflammatory things out of their nutrition and inflammatory things are the seed oils, the grains, the sugars, certain things like that. But um, it was that something that you noticed helped you when when you just got rid of the inflammatory things or, or did you actually feel better from dropping carbohydrates altogether it's a really difficult one to answer and i don't i can't be definitive because in, in the best best case scenario you'd, you'd run a randomized controlled trial right you'd have two versions of yourself and you'd run all these different control arms so i can't answer it definitively um all i know is that feeling a lot better correlated with those interventions um and i'm a big believer personally and this translates into into hunter and gather as well but strong beliefs loosely held there was once a time when i thought that keto was was the only way but that was the panacea to all the issues in the world um and then i thought the same about carnivore as well um not so much about carnivore i i really appreciate that space and how it's a it's a fantastic framework for people that are you know really quite poorly and it can get them back to a to a certain point but yeah i i tend to agree nowadays that if you remove a lot of these inflammatory food-like substances um 
and again it really depends it's that it's that old saying it really depends it depends on the person and how broken their physiology is how broken their metabolism is um if you've got someone that's got you know metabolic syndrome or a diabetic do they need to be low carbohydrate probably yes in my opinion again it's only my opinion um i'm not formally qualified in this space um if you've got someone that's looking to do ultra long distance running um you, you look at someone like zach bitter for instance he trains a lot of his time with a reduced carbohydrate um, load. But when he's in competition, he'll utilize modern day rocket fuel. He'll utilize glucose um, and he'll utilize a, a higher carbohydrate diet. I think it comes down to foods where the nutrients are in a synergistic form. They're bioavailable. They're not removed from the food matrix. So it's not a higher fructose glucose syrup, for instance. Um, I mean, it's quite fascinating to see Paul Saladino and his views on honey, for instance, and how he gets so much backlash from people saying, well, honey's full of sugar. And it's like, eh, I've experimented the last two years during the summer having honey. I felt fine. I can still concentrate. I still have a, a good sense of none of the, um, the chronic health challenges that I've experienced in the past have kind of recurred um, by introducing some really good raw honey. Um, yeah, I think, maybe different. Comes, I think it comes back to the fact of like what you mentioned about the nutrient density and the nutrient density being in the real food. Yes, some real foods come along with carbohydrates, come along with sugars, um, but it, they've also got that nutrient density in there within a, within a type of food matrix that, like Paul Sardino says, isn't it? it's, in, it's within a food matrix that your body can use over hundreds of thousands of years. Let's take it back again to our ancestors because I'm very similar to you and I think, well, if they, if it, if it worked for evolution, surely it works for us. Okay, if it worked over a hundred thousand years of our own evolution, then why is it not going to work now? And we used to really love honey. We used to go out uh, as cavemen and find honey. We used to find berries. We used to find fruit, and we used to find starchy vegetables and all sorts of kind of things. Then, so why is that not going to help us in our nutrition now? Yes, I agree with you that um, there is certain aspects which you could focus more on like keto and carnivore for certain individuals that potentially need a reset because that's something I, I do is I re try and reset a lot of people, reset their metabolism um, because your metabolism can be all, all out of whack if your macros are all out of whack. But um, yeah, like I say, if it's in the real food, then I can't see carbohydrates being a problem at all. A lot of people will say, well, I'm keto and I've never had carbohydrates for three or four years. So why should I introduce them now? And like you just said, if you go slowly, if you introduce something into it and it doesn't cause you a problem, then you could potentially see benefits from it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's important not to be dogmatic, but then it's also important to remember that, as I said a moment ago, that people come to this with such different different physiology um we're all fundamentally humans in the same species but everyone's yeah broken for want of a better phrase to a different degree um yeah i mean you exercise you exercise now you, you do a lot of exercise go to the gym yeah i don't know if you do any uh, cardio or are you mostly weights or, or free weights or... yeah so i i spent from 2012 through to 2019 doing endurance running very i was very mediocre um, but I'd, you know, done anything from 5Ks through to a 50-mile event that I really enjoyed. Um, so I spent a long time, you know, running long distances um, and really enjoyed that. Right now, I've switched over to, um, to, to 
more powerlifting and weightlifting and ensuring that my you know musculoskeletal system is as supported as possible my, my focus now going into my fourth decade is that i want to you know focus on health span and longevity and and i want to prove all those people that i speak to who who don't know about this sort of stuff you know friends and family that you come across oh by the time you're 40 you know you'll start to feel the effects it's like no i want to be like a fine wine i want to get better as i get older so the focus is now on that i'm i don't want to compete i don't want to do this or that it's more about how can i support myself to be a kick-ass you know human being until i'm 90 or 100 years old and, and be able to squat down the, the big thing there that i saw we went to we've been to vietnam been to thailand we've been to kenya and you see the older generations there who can squat down into a deep hunter gatherer squat at the age of 90 and they can tie their shoelaces up they can sit by the side of the road and eat their eat their dinner that makes you realize that it's not just all about keto yeah exactly. and as, as hard as it hard as it is to say that and we we have a food brand that serves our keto customers and again it, it all depends where what stage of the journey you're at so there's there's many other lifestyle aspects that come into you thriving food plays an absolute massive part in that you know arbitrarily probably 80 percent because it's everywhere it's something we do all the time it's something we need to do every day so you need to be very specific and intentional about the choices that you make. Um, but you also need to have strong beliefs loosely held. And when something compelling comes along, try it. You know, try to understand how that food impacts you. But I also wholeheartedly appreciate that people come to this um, way of thinking with you know, severe addictions, uh, severe nutritional deficiencies, metabolic derangement. There's all sorts of things. So it really is an answer that that is it depends yeah exactly uh, yeah that's it it's the nail on the head it depends that's why i am trying to do my best to be a health coach out there to, to show people perhaps the right road for them because you can listen to all the podcasts you can read all the content out there doesn't necessarily relate specifically to you there may be something different that you need to do in your nutrition that'll help you on your way of work i've worked with um athletes triathletes i'm, I'm a triathlete myself so i've had nice. to refine my own, own uh, nutrition just recently actually completed a marathon last week which took totally different nutrition from what i was doing beforehand so i had to adapt mm. it in the week leading up to it i was eating a lot more real food carbohydrates uh, and during the race i was utilizing some homemade energy bars which are carbohydrates that, that i needed for for the for the race, you have to adapt to where you are in your journey. Like you said, you know, you can start off with keto, perhaps people will start off with keto and then start thinking, okay, so I need to get a little bit more out of this. I need to do some more exercise. I want to build strength. I want to um, run marathons, whatever you want to do. There's always a road to go down, but there's always something to make sure that you need to refine it to yourself. But something that I have picked up on just recently, and I know you're not an expert, we spoke a little bit about it before on, is people who have been doing keto for a long time start to get worried about gluconeogenesis. Gluconeogenesis, for anybody listening who doesn't know, is when the body starts making carbohydrates from proteins, that's making glucose out of uh, the protein. So people say, well, I'm not going to eat so much protein because my body's just going to use it for sugar. We know that that's not the case. Um, but what can you tell us what happens with gluconeogenesis and why why potentially people are a little bit scared of it? 
I think there's a lot of fear within the keto community that if you have an abundance of protein, it's going to get converted into, into, into glucose and, and knock you out of keto. Um, and I think that was aided by a, a study that was released by the American Association of something or other. I'm not too sure what the, the actual study is. You might be able to reference it in the, um, in the show notes. But I think there's a lot of scaremongering around that. Um, I've, for instance, I've eaten way in excess of 200 grams of protein when I was primarily animal-based carnivore. And I was still... I was still showing up as being in, in ketosis and only marginally, but then you get into the arguments of, well, if you're, if you're showing a lot of ketone bodies in your blood or blowing a high um, breath ketone reading, then you're not actually utilizing those ketones. And you know, I think it's, it's getting bogged down in, in, in metrics and numbers that you might not need to. I think intuition is important, but again, it comes back to if someone's come from a slimming world or Weight Watchers, methodology they, they might need that framework to help them feel comfortable but what's your take on gluconeogenesis i mean for instance i i did primarily run most of my endurance um most of my competitions primarily low carbon keto um through just not not knowing any any you know any any other way um yeah i, th- I think could, personally i think yeah. gluconeogenesis is your backup it's like it's like your it's like your reserve tank in a way, but it's always going in the background. Something that people have to realise is, um, it's it's always there. You're not just in your own body. You're not just burning fat. You're not just burning carbohydrates. You're always burning a mixture of one or the other. So if you are a potentially, let's say you're you're a fat burner, like you may then be able to predominantly burn fat, but you're also burning carbohydrates at the same time, just maybe at a, a much lower level. I mean, there has been studies out now showing that you can actually push your lactate threshold uh, quite high just on fat burning. So like up to 85%, there is studies out now to show that. So that's being um, really metabolically fit whilst burning fat. You can then still have a little bit of carbohydrates. And, and my take on gluconeogenesis is if you was to stop being a fat burner and move back over to being a carbohydrate burner, then in that process your body's going to need something. It's going to need some fuel from somewhere. So then it starts to break down your protein because it's in survival mode. Right? So I don't think anybody has to worry about how much and, and why gluconeogenesis is happening. It's basically your body's backup system. Yeah, I think what happens is people myopically focus on one thing and they're like, I'm a fat burner, which means they're exclusively using fat. By the way, that isn't what it means, but that's what people think it is. They interpret it to be that way. And it's like, no, we, we're always using like different ratios of fuel substrates. Be it, um, you can correct me if I say anything wrong here. I'm not an, an expert in the field, but you've got your glycogen, you've got your, your fatty acids, you've got ketone bodies, you've got lactate, I believe you can recycle. There's, there's all these different elements that go into the, the, the fuel mixture, so to speak. Um, and you can, you can obviously influence how much of a fat burner, quote unquote, you become. And... I remember seeing Peter Atia's work really early on around the respiratory quotient at your RQ and how you can actually influence that by eating a higher fat diet, for instance, and, and, and bringing down the carbohydrates, which in principle sounds um, very, very sensible if you do want to um, have a higher uptake of fatty acids when you're, when you're exercising or in your daily life. It probably makes sense that we do utilize that fuel more so the, the, the fuel that we store in our bodies that people think 
is there to make us look ugly, quote unquote, because that's what people think that is for. They don't realise that it's actually a fuel substrate for when times are tough. It just so happens that we've, we're in a time where we've got severe metabolic dysfunction and people are over fat, essentially. I love the way Phil Maffetone talks about being over fat. Everyone should be fat. They should have fat. And I think it's a great tragedy as well that a macronutrient is called fat and we also term someone's appearance fat. It's just a big tragedy that those two things, but that's just a... <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's where it mine. gets lost about um, if you eat fat, you get fat. And, and you know, that, that, that oh, whole thing comes so about. simple. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've dispelled that myth. We're not going to go there again. So um, we know now that good saturated fats are good for us. You know, and then the bad fats, like we mentioned earlier, the it tends to be the omega six, not necessarily the the omega six themselves, but the the processed and the industrialized omega six in all the seed oils and things. And and even then, there is in some athletes it has been shown that um, if your omega three, which is the good fatty acids that you get, the omega three ratio is quite high to omega six then your body can compensate for that and not turn it into fat storage. So there is all the little avenues that you can go down to, but we're not going to dive too deep into that. What I want to do is I want to bring it back to you. I want to bring it back to all the good things that you are producing and putting out there. And I just want to touch on a little bit about collagen because I feel that anybody who wants a new product or wants to change just something, just one thing in their, their lives, just something easy that they can do, it's to introduce collagen into their nutrition and why should they do that jeff yeah they should do that because we've got to a point now and i saw this um amplified back at the outset of the pandemic or however you want to term it back back at last year in march 2020 when the supermarket shelves were empty it was such a shame to see um things such as chicken chicken with the skin and bone still on the shelf but all the lean chicken gone um, to see oxtail and a lot of the fattier cut with cartilage still on the shelf. It was all the lean cuts that had been snapped up by the consumers. So essentially, there would have been a time when we'd have consumed nose to tail of the animal. And many tribes and, and um, cultures around the world still do. But we don't in our Western society. We consume lean cuts because we, we believe those other things are yucky and nasty and chewy and not very nice but they have something within them called collagen. So with cartilage and skin, you get collagen. And that is essentially the building blocks of a lot of, a lot of the, the protein within our body. It's the most abundant protein within our body. And that diminishes as we get older. So beyond the age of 25, they say our natural stores of, of collagen diminish. Now you can supplement with collagen, with hydrolyzed collagen, and that gets synthesized into collagen and it helps to increase your skin, hair, nail, joint, all good stuff. We have, we have customers that call us up and say, hey, I've started consuming collagen and I'm sleeping so much better. I think we're in, we're in a pandemic of lack of amino acids and, and collagen and good fats and all, the, all these kind of nutrients that we've just disregarded because we've simply looked at a nutritional table in the back of a pack and we're trying to stick to 2,000 calories a day. So there's yeah, all these I think if people are thinking here. that they need fats, they need carbohydrates, they need protein, then the fourth macronutrient should be collagen. Definitely need collagen in your body. It supports all your joints, it supports all your hair, all your nails. It just absolutely supports everything. Yes, it's not a complete protein, but 
it supports every, if you are eating a, a nutritionally good diet anyway, and you've got all the other amino acids in there to top it up, you have your, exactly. your collagen. And even if you are eating nose to tail, I still recommend having collagen. You can't get too much collagen in your nutrition. You know, it'll support everything you do, especially like yourself as well. Um, trying to build bone density, trying to lift weights, trying to go to the gym and collagen will support in the repair and the build of everything, all your muscles and all your bones as well. So there's so many benefits from doing it. And it's great that you've got a nice clean product out there and pushing it out. You've got the bovine and the marine um, one. There's, there's little differences between them, but some people will prefer one over the other. Um, I think we talked a little bit about that in the podcast i did with amy about the difference between the the bovine and the marine so if people want to go check that out they can do but um i don't want to take up all your time today so if you just want to tell people um your website where they can find you how they can follow along with you any groups you've got geez there's a lot there <laughs> um yeah so you, you can find us at hunterandgatherfoods.com um and i believe we're hunter and gather uk on the social media platforms. But our website, not only do we sell like the fantastic products, but we've got an abundance of resources over there. We've got like three eBooks, we've got recipes, we've got like information uh, articles, and it's a great place to start if you just want to learn more about this space. Um, that's, that's something that's close to my heart personally about providing as, as great information as possible. Um, it doesn't matter if you don't buy anything, just, just check out the information because that could be the, the turning point of you becoming a better version of yourself essentially. Um, and it's, it's part of us giving people the tools to thrive, which is, is at the heart of what we do. Um, what was the other questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, where you can follow along with you. I know you've got a group on yeah. Facebook as well. Um, is that Hunter and Gather on Facebook? Yeah, if you search Hunter and Gather on Facebook, you'll find the, um, it's kind of like a private Facebook group. There's a, a few thousand in there. There's some really great conversation that happens within that group. Um, I believe at the moment we're doing a grain-free bake-off. Um, so people are, you know, using innovative ingredients to, to make some, some grain-free um, baked goods in line with the Great British Bake Off, which is quite fun to, to watch. Um, but yeah, it's a fantastic place. It's a, it's a safe, it's a safe space <laughs> for people that want to come and don't want to be in a group that's dogmatic. So it's not just carnivore. It's not just keto. It's a place where people can actually talk about um, different uh, dietary frameworks that are ancestrally inspired. So I take a lot of what I do personally from the work of Western A. Price, and I think he he really had a lot of his observations correct back in the nineteen thirties. Um, so a lot of what I do is grounded in that, but it's a safe space. There's, there's no, there's no idiots in there. It is, it's a very nice place where people can, can ask questions and, and really learn about the space. Um, yeah, I wanted to mention that because I, I've been in the group myself and listened and looked at uh, a lot through a lot of the conversations as well. And like you say, it's not dogmatic. There is a lot of groups out there, which are just keto groups or just carnivore groups. And you'll get the, let's say, keto police or whatever, carnival police, whatever they are, telling you that something's wrong. Uh, you know, if you eat fruit, it's wrong. If you eat veggies, it's wrong and all this kind of thing. But the good thing about the hunter and gather one is everybody's on the same page. Nobody's doing it strictly for keto. Nobody's doing it strictly for carnivore. They may be the people in there doing that, but they're all open to the fact that there is all these different kind of diets out there. And as we've said in this podcast, everybody's following something different 
not not because they want to simply because everybody's got a different goal everybody wants to achieve something different from their nutrition and but the main thing is health overall and and that's what comes across from your group i think it's really good and anybody wanting to join that i think you should go over to facebook and even if you don't interact with a group just there's some great conversations to read on there for people you know from people who have started off from nothing and, and, and come all the way through not just using your products but using all sorts of uh, things like nose, nose to tail um, eating and yeah there is some great resources on your website as well all about seed oils and things isn't they to for people to to read up even more than that so uh, i thank you very much for your time today jeff and uh, i hope to continue buying your produce and i hope you continue to put out more and more things out there and and take over those supermarkets yeah absolutely thanks it's been a privilege to be on your podcast um i hope it's been a good one for listeners and yeah thanks for the opportunity it's been great chatting to you thank you jeff great to catch up with jeff they really are doing some great things over at hunter and gather foods go check them out for more information and get some great products while you're there i also did speak to amy from hunter and gather foods on a po earlier podcast it was episode 17 so go check that out in fact, go back and check out all the episodes. I think they're all great. Listening to them for a second or third time, I always seem to pick out something new. So give them a go. I've popped the link to the Hunter and Gather Foods website in the show description, as well as our own website, uh, humannutritionlifestyle.com. So come and interact with us. Come and interact with us on social media or get in touch for more info. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you can spare the time, I'd really appreciate a rate or a review to help more people find us. More people can then listen to this podcast and become healthier humans. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I have some exciting guests coming up. So very, very soon, some really, really good ones to look forward to. But until then, be happy, be strong and thrive.